Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Imagine you were a circus act. I know. What would you be? What skill would you need? And how long would you have to practice? And would you perform well all the time? If I was ever a circus act, some may say that I already act like one, but if I was ever one, I would walk a tightrope and juggle at the same time. I know, it's weird. But it seems like a good challenge for me. I think this desire comes from a competition from my primary school, drama class. As a team, we had to pretend to walk on a tightrope. And again, am I sad? I won the the challenge, probably why I remember it. But the other team walked in a circle while we walked in a straight line. And I was like this, trying to like keep it, you know, wobbling my leg as well, just, you know, add to the effect. Um, But they walked in a circle, so it wasn't really, you know, real. So anyway, we won. Um, we, We maintained our balance and we shook our knee in intervals to add to the performance. Perhaps it comes from there. Perhaps this is where I'm getting it from. Or perhaps it comes from my desire to be in control, to hold all things in balance and act like a video I watched on YouTube (laughs) called Button Bag Circus. And he did this, guys. He juggled and walked on a tightrope at the same time for three seconds, but he did it anyway. (laughs) He kept his balance and he held it all together. I think this is the same appeal when I go shopping. And I'm adamant I don't need a basket. (laughs) I pick up some fruit and then I pick up some kind of protein, chicken or beef. And then I remember I need butter or a dairy product. And then there's something on sale and then I could that I could eat after I finish the shop. And I'm in the freezer section and then you get the drift. After I get to the freezer section, it's all over. Um, I give in and surrender and I grab a basket. I'm disappointed and disgruntled because I truly believed that I could hold everything together. As I'm sure some of you do too, when you're carrying the shopping out of the car and into the house. You don't want to make two trips. You can just hold it all together. But more personally, perhaps you felt that this week. You have tried to hold things together without God and it's just been slipping through your fingers like water or vapour. If this is you or not you, I'm going to encourage you to lean in for the next 25 minutes or so. Because in Genesis 3, we come to learn and know about God the only one who can hold all things, and in him all things hold together. We also learn about Adam and Eve, two people who, like me, could not hold things together. They could not hold two things in balance. Let's read Genesis 3, 7-8. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves lying cloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, Lord God, among the trees of the garden. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for today. Thank you, Father Lord, that you are the one who can hold all things together. You are the one who can hold both grace and truth in perfect balance. And I pray that we'll come to know you this morning. We'll come to see you face to face, Lord. Would you speak to us personally and also collectively? I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. So for the last week, well, last couple of weeks, we have been in the Origin series. 
and looked at the origins of marriage, origins of work, origins of rest, origins of struggle, origins of temptation. We've just been origin everything. But today we're going to look at the origins of shame. We're going to look at the impact of shame, our response to shame, but also God's response to shame. And I think that's probably the best one. But before the verses we just read in Genesis 3, a few things happened. Um, The first thing that happened that I think is worth noting is in Genesis 1 verse 31. And it says, and God God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. This is important, because God's um, original design or original declaration over you, or, or over all of creation, was that it was good. So the feeling of shame is not part of God's good created order. It's a result of sin. And this saying is so important and true, it's going to be the first point today. God's original declaration over you today is good. And that word good in, in Hebrew is the word tov, tobay, meaning pleasant, agreeable, beautiful, and good. What he created, you agreed, fit with his intention, and it was pleasing to him. It was so good and pleasing to him that he rested. He enjoyed what he had created on the seventh day. As David Schrock puts it, The goodness of creation explains why and how God can rest on the seventh day. Since his work is complete, there is nothing left for him to do. And since it is very good, he intends on that seventh day to enjoy his creation. And of course, this enjoyment is short-lived, but it is indicative of what God will do for eternity when the work of Christ's new creation is completed. The goodness of creation includes men and women made in the image of God, And it's God's desire for it to be like it was in the beginning. And this is something we'll come back to, but it's important because the message of shame is completely antithetical to God's original original declaration. It's like when you get a new iPhone and you're enjoying the iPhone and it's it's nice, it's great. All these features that you're finding, the camera, the loop button, it's amazing. But then after that, you find a bug and you're like, what's going on? This is not what I planned. Um, You find a bug, you find a glitch in your in your phone it's a bug but it's not part of the feature and in the same way shame is not part of the original design that God had in mind for us it's a belief that does not bring life nor does it encourage spiritual formation it condemns and it rejects and it's not the voice of God and it's worth just stopping and speaking to you guys personally today to say that Um, If you're believing that God is angry with you or disappointed with you or disgusted at you uh, or that you can't come to him, it's not the voice of God. His desire is for you and he loves you. And another thing that happened before Adam and Eve knew that they were naked is recorded in Genesis 2.25. And it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Again, this is important because it means that they had no problem with being naked In fact, they were not ashamed of being naked until what happens in in verse 4 to 6. And I think this is relevant because it means that there was a time, okay, there was a time with God, um, there was a time when God and man dwelt together in harmony without feeling the consequence of sin. It also means that it's possible. It's possible for our relationship with God and one another to be pure and freeing. So something happened between verse or chapter 1 and chapter the chapter one and the end of chapter two and it's also called it's something called the fall I don't think I've got up there but I'm going to read it 
it says, verse 4 to 6, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of its fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So the fall is where Adam, well, even, even then Adam ate the fruit, believing the deception and consequently sin entered the world and their eyes were open. Shame is the imposter that enters as a result of sin. They knew they had sinned and they knew something was off. They knew something was wrong. They knew something about themselves that was concealed from them before they ate the fruit. And that leads me to the second point of this message. Because of sin, we are flawed. After eating the fruit, they had an innate feeling that something was off, that they were frail, that they were dirty. We feel shame as a result of our sin. And it's no surprise that the more we we are aware, sorry, the more aware you become of your sin in your life, the more shame you might feel about it. For example, if a child doesn't know it's wrong to take your phone and break it, they are free to use it as a hammer, right? But once they're aware that breaking and abusing an object is wrong, they're quick to scan the room to see who noticed, to hide or run away from the mistake that happened. But more generally, the feeling can bring questions. The feeling of shame can bring questions like, am I enough? I can't do this. I'm flawed. There's something inherently wrong with me. I don't have what it takes. There is something Um, Wrong with me, I feel incomplete. There's a missing piece. I just feel broken. Um, It's something we all feel, all think at different points in our lives. And to be honest, in our day. (laughs) Um, But in these moments, I think it's safe to say that it can be an all-consuming feeling. um, And it 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 can feel very tangible. It's like a lens that colors every relationship, every situation you encounter. And I remember this, you know, using the lens of shame as my outlook on life. I remember an evening out with friends. We were on a way to a restaurant, trying out a new restaurant in London. Um, and we were just, um, just came from a conference that we were hosting together. And we enjoyed each other's company. I was just becoming you know, friends with this lady um, and we're enjoying each other's company. But once we arrived at the restaurant, we parked the car, but my friend forgot me in the car. Yeah, guys, she forgot me in the car. And I was like, sorry, are you okay? (laughs) I was so confused. I was like, well, we were just talking. It was a three-door car, so I'll I'll give her some some leeway. And it required the passenger seat to recline forward to let me in, but she forgot me. And I remember the thoughts that just flooded my mind at that point through the lens of shame. I remember just thinking, see, you are forgotten. See, you don't belong here. See, they don't understand you. And it was real. That feeling was real and very tangible, tangible, but it was still untrue. Once I knocked on the window, she ran, to, she ran to open the door and apologized. And she said, hey, sorry, you know, she's been with the driver all morning and she forgot I was there. And she just genuinely forgot I was in the car. It doesn't mean that she forgot me as a person. I chose to believe her intent towards me was good. And when we know the heart of our friends in relationship, we can abandon our lens of shame and believe their heart of love towards us. And this can be paralleled with God. Once we know his heart, we can trust his actions. And maybe some people here, I know I've definitely felt this way about God, that, hey, he's actually forgotten you in the car. (laughs) He's abandoned you. He's left you in the car of life. But I want to tell you that the actions of my friends are the actions of God. He runs towards us. And actually, he lives in our place of need. He's there right with us. But without the willingness from me to pause and consider a different narrative than the one that shame was speaking over me, 
Can you see how damaging shame can be to our relationships if we use that lens to view people around us? But we, humanity, and everyone here in this room can experience this. And I think we have tried to solve it without God, and this is going to lead me to the next part of the sermon. We have tried to hold the reality of shame without the grace of God that he's freely given to us. It's like we've tried to place two different puzzle pieces together because we're so desperate to complete the puzzle piece, but we know something's off. It's just not connecting. It's incomplete. And the first human solution we see in the garden is in verse 7 to 8, where it says, Adam and Eve sold fig leaves and hid themselves because they knew they were naked. They also failed to take responsibility and pointed the blame another, at one another. And I believe this is a common response that we all do to the feeling of shame. And this leads me to my third point. Our solutions are inadequate. The solutions that we have conjured up are not doing enough to hide what we can see or hear. Excuse me. I remember a few years ago now, my niece was playing in the living room with all her toys. And I asked her to clean up because we wanted to move on to the next activity and something else. She was like, oh, I don't really want to. Disgruntled, but she agreed anyway because it's fun to bake, right? So in less than one minute, she had finished and I was hesitant. Um, and I was like, you can't have finished in one minute. So I went to, um, to, to see what she had done. And this is what she said cleaning up looked like. And I was like, you just hid the stuff. <laughs> but it's so plain to see that it's still there. This was her attempt to clean and hide a mess that she had made. And even though she tried to hide it, I could still see. And listen, anyone could see. Probably the neighbours, <laughs> if they were walking past, could see. Her solution was inadequate. And we think we're doing an excellent job of hiding our shame. But it's clear to see, and God can still see it. But he does more than that, and we'll come back to that later. In awareness of shame, we could also find fig leaves to cover the shame that we feel. And this fig leaf can come in the form of pleasing, overworking, sexual immorality, to quiet the voice of shame that is screaming our defectiveness. When we feel shame of not belonging, we'll do anything to be accepted. We, we are desperate for people to accept us because we don't feel accepted. We don't feel that we are complete. We're quick to grab the fig leaf of work when we don't feel the comfort of safety and belonging. Or the, or the fig leaf of alcohol as well when we want to numb the feeling of loneliness. And I remember times that when I would sin and I would feel or even know that, that I just did something that displeased God, I would feel the shame of my sin and questions would begin to rise. Like, oh, God doesn't want you. You know, you're not wanted. God, God wants nothing to do with you. Am I still a Christian? Does God still love me? Am I still in Christ? And my fig leaf, my rebuttal in that moment was like, yes, of course I am. You know, look at all the things I do for God. <laughs> and this was an attempt to cover my shame rather than to look to Christ and what he had accomplished for me despite my sin and shame. So what do you reach for to cover the shame you feel? That's your fig leaf. When confronted with the reality of shame by God, we mentioned two human solutions so far. We sow fig leaves and we hide our sin. If this doesn't work, we just pass the blame onto something else, someone else, as they did in the garden. Let's look at verse 9 to 13. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? 
The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. We've been passing blame since the beginning. If you've ever been in a room with children and something has gone wrong, you may hear things like, it wasn't me, it was him, it wasn't me. No, she did it, no, she did it, she did it. It's, it's, it's there. It was her fault. Or even at work, when a project or situation goes wrong, managers and senior staff are very quick to say, well, I told you, the brief was there. <laughs> even though they had a part to play with, with, with the thing that went wrong. Or even a personal example, at university, we had to do some academic referencing in front of the class. And I had gotten something wrong. And don't forget, guys, this is in front of the classroom. And it's plain for everyone to see. Um, and someone, someone public, publicly called me out and said, oh, no, that's wrong. You shouldn't have done that. And I was like, well, she said, <laughs> she said I should, um, just to pass the shame that I felt in that moment. And it's, impo- it's important for us to know that owning our wrongs does not change God's original declaration over us. And more simply put, our honesty doesn't change God's authority. But the human solution to shame is still evident in the culture around us. And I want to suggest phrases used to normalize shame or desensitize shame or soothe the shame that we feel, such as you are enough, you're self-made, just accept yourself, you're worth it, it's okay to own you, are all attempts to fix the shame we all feel without God's original design to do so. A vulnerability and shame specialist um, studied shame and vulnerability for 10 years, um, and this is her recommendation. She recommends that the antidote to shame is empathy, and she asserts that the two most powerful words to heal is me too. It's a recognition of shame in ourselves and in other people so that it could draw us together, which I agree with to some extent. Empathy can be a bridge to reconcile the hurt and the hurting, but the quality and steadfastness of that bridge is not reliable. Times when I weep with my friend over wrongdoing and her words of compassion act like a balm to me, they're priceless, priceless moments, but her agreement alone is not enough because this antidote to shame, uh, to heal shame that was mentioned is dependent on another person's willingness to recognize their own shame and then consequently mine. But instead of those two words, I want to offer you two words that build a better and abiding bridge. Two words that build highways and roles that lead to a better kingdom and a greater king. Two words that invite us to look up and not within or without as a remedy of shame. And it's these two words, but God. Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with God. By grace, you have been saved. His solution to shame is much different than ours. In his seeing of our shame, he agrees with us. He says, yes, it's there, but he also clothes us. And this is our last point. Truth and grace is the solution. We don't want to be on the other spectrum and say, oh, it's okay, you're worth it, it's fine. Just just soothe the shame that you feel. Grace and truth is the best solution to the reality of shame. And though God's desire is for us, he he didn't discount what was true for what he desired. 
He did not do away with what my niece did. He didn't take a shortcut and try and hide things behind and say, it's fine, it's all done, I'm clean. He doesn't do what humans do. He He doesn't hold truth without grace. With God, there was no attempt to hide it or cover it up. He made a way instead. Verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. He did not deny what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil brought. And honestly, when I was reading this, I was like, I was shocked. Why didn't God say something like, oh, no, you're you're naked, but it's fine. He didn't say, let's just pretend like nothing happened. (laughs) It's like when, when, when your child brings a painting and it's not good, but you're like, oh, it's fine. It's okay. It's amazing. He didn't pretend. (laughs) And I believe it's because God is not like us. It's not like God to call something good when it's not. And that's like humans. We deny the existence of shame as a remedy for it. But God, his grace does not deny our shame. It covers it. So when next you're feeling shame because of sin or shame because of failure or shame because of rejection, we can own up to it or recognize it, but move on with grace. And as we think and meditate intently on these things, we can begin to live with reality as God defines it. But more closely, grace and truth came in a person. John 1, 17 to 18, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. When we are looking for a remedy to shame, our, our culture can only take us so far. We must look to Jesus, in whom grace and truth find perfect harmony. In him, we can recognize our sin and still, sorry, we can recognize our sin, but not be defined by it. In him, we can own up to wrongdoing and still be accepted by him. In him, we can fail and still be loved. In him, we can be frail, but still be made whole. But it's only in him. Without him, we resort back to the human solutions in the garden. And this quote by Justin Gibney sums it up well. It's a beautiful thing when God takes away our shame through grace and redemption. But unfortunately, it's often a very ugly thing when the world attempts to take away our shame. We're often lured into simply denying our shame and its impact on us and others. To finish off, I want to borrow an analogy from Rory Shiner when it comes to us considering how we are in Christ. I want you guys to imagine again. I love imagining. It's great. It takes us to another place. Um, Imagine yourself at an airport. Okay, you're about to board a plane and the plane is on its way to sunny Melbourne. There's no clouds there. Okay, hallelujah. And Melbourne is where you want to be. What relationship do you need to have with the plane at this point? Would it help to be under the plane to get to Melbourne? Would it help to submit yourself to the plane's eminent authority in the whole flying to Melbourne? (laughs) Or would it help to be inspired by the plane, to watch it fly off and whisper, oh, one day I hope I can do that too. What about following the plane? You know the plane is going to Melbourne, so it stands stands, um, to reason that if you just take note of the direction, it goes and you pursue it and you too, you will end up there. These things are not... Didn't make any sense, right? The key relationship you need with the plane is not to be under it, behind it, or inspired by it. 
you need to be in it. And why? Because by being in the plane, whatever, hap whatever happens to the plane will also happen to you. And the question, did you get to Melbourne, would be part of a larger question, did the plane get to Melbourne? And if the answer to the second question is yes, and if you were in the plane, then whatever happened to the plane will have also happened to you. So to those who are in Christ, whatever happens to Christ also happens to us. And in him, in him, the guilt and shame of sin is taken away. Amen? Amen. In him. And if you're here but you're not in Christ, there's an opportunity made available to you this morning. If you're longing for this kind of connection to be in, <laughs> to be in him, to feel shame but not be defined by it, to feel frail but still be loved, and still be made whole, it's all available in him. We're going to go to a time of worship, um, and during the worship, I want to invite you to think and to reorder your thoughts in light of this truth of being in Christ. I want us to praise God because of it. I want us to rejoice because of it. I want you to live your life from that place. But, so, but for some people here this morning, and you're feeling the shame of what has happened this week, or happened this morning, or happened five minutes ago, about what you have done, and you genuinely feel that God wants nothing to do with you. There might be some people here that are feeling the weight of shame, but haven't been able to shake it. Or some people here would love to pray for you, if that, if that is you. You may be here, and you're not fully convinced of God's love for you, and God's grace towards you, and you're waiting for God's love to run out on you, or give up on you like a ticking time bomb. That's not the heart of God. His original declaration over you is good. And shame is a bug. It's not part of the feature that he had in mind at the beginning. And these are God's words and God's heart towards you in John 6, 37. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Amen.